This is the No Dublin Podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and this evening I'm joined by Joe McBride, software architect for Willis Towers Watson and creator of GraphQL.net, a .NET implementation of the GraphQL specification. Thank you very much for taking time out of your evening to join me, Joe. Thanks for having me. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Uh, so Joe McBride, uh, married to a uh, wonderful wife, have a uh, very... Um, uh, energetic four-year-old boy and uh, live in Henderson, Nevada, which is near Las Vegas. And uh, I work uh, remotely just from home. Um, when I'm not uh, hacking on GraphQL.net or a uh, mud client, I mostly spend my time with my family and uh, doing some woodworking. What, um, what is GraphQL.net? Let's, let's dig right into it. Sure. Uh, so GraphQL in general, it's, it's a um, protocol agnostic type safe query language for your, your API. Um, and along with that is the runtime that uh, fulfills the, those queries. Um, and uh, it sits on top of your existing data. When you say it's protocol agnostic, what's uh, what's the relevance of that? So the GraphQL specification it doesn't uh, really say that uh, you know you'll be uh, sending the data over like HTTP and JSON or HTTP and XML. Um, so uh, whatever uh, protocol that you want to use, uh, either of those two that I mentioned, or even TCP and binary. Uh, you could do you could use any of those protocols and still be uh, doing GraphQL. And then you mentioned it's type safe as well. So it's type safe and REST is not, or something else is not. Well, it's uh, kind of built into the query language is the idea of types, and types have specific fields, and whether the and those types can be uh, nullable or non-nullable. And so kind of built into the, the query language, uh, you, you can easily have uh, that validation kind of built in. Uh, whereas with some of the other uh, frameworks, uh, you kind of have to build that on top of, uh, build that yourself. So as I discovered, as I was using your library, uh, GraphQL is quite opinionated on the types that it supports. Why has it made yes. those decisions? Or can you, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what I mean? Sure. Uh, so there are a uh, specific set of uh, scalar values that are that are available. Uh, scalar meaning uh, you know the the leaf nodes or you know strings, um, I you know IDs, um, uh, floats. So numbers essentially, um, and uh, and so specification defines kind of a, a small set of those. Whereas, like in .NET, you may have your your double type, your float type, your single type, uh, your your long type. Um, you know, so uh, it, it only has a a very few subset of built-in types. And uh, that can trip people up uh, when they're first getting started with it. 
And so I had the, the the scenario where I was, I think, trying to read a single from the database, which was being, um, which was a float, I think, in my C sharp. And then I was trying to get that out to my GraphQL, I think, as a maybe a decimal or a double or something. And it either wasn't working or I was losing precision. And in the end, what I ended up having to do was perform my cast early on within my entity framework, a conversion to get it into, I think, uh, a decimal or a double. I'm rambling a bit, but if you if you use uh, Joe's library and you hit these crazy conversion things, it's not his library, it's you. You have to do your conversion before it gets to his code. Right, and that's uh, and that's kind of the that that most people hit right off the bat um, is conversions like that. And and one thing to to remember with GraphQL is that uh, you can extend uh, uh, extend the base specif- specification like with your own scalars. And my library does support that, but um, uh, uh, yeah, something to to uh, uh, know about. Uh, from you, the start if you do that let's say and we're, we're using the word specification if you extend or change uh, change the specification then do the clients that depend on your implementation have to understand that you've changed the let's say base spec yeah uh they do um but uh the way that um the the graphql provides that information to the end client it's pretty seamless. Uh, so the um, GraphQL specification provides a uh, metadata, and so uh, typically in, in a client application that is going to be fetching information from the server, uh, often they go and fetch the metadata first, which gives you the whole uh, structure of what ty- what are valid types and uh, so once you get that metadata, then the client can uh, help even do some validation on the client before it even gets to the server. So let's wind it back a little bit because I kind of brought us into the weeds there. Why would you use GraphQL? So I think the most powerful use of GraphQL is uh, to aggregate data. So if you have... Uh, if your application needs to call into multiple different services to fetch information, GraphQL uh, can make it really easy to aggregate uh, a single service. Um, uh, another part of it, like you mentioned, if you're wanting more of a type-safe uh, um, API uh, to kind of get some of that validation built in, um, uh, the other big one that people talk about is uh, not overfetching data. So uh, in your query, you can define the specific fields that you are interested in, and uh, you'll only get those fields and not uh, any extras. Um, and uh, another reason is it can make it easier to deprecate fields. Uh, in some of the, you know, in versioning. Uh, so kind of going back to that metadata uh, you can, uh, yeah, it's really easy to to be able to track uh, what fields you know you shouldn't be using anymore. You said there's something like services calling services. So, if let's say I'm uh, a client outside of your company and I'm calling your GraphQL, 
Will your GraphQL call other GraphQLs or can it call REST and SOAPs and databases or file systems as, as it sees fit? Yep, it can call anything, essentially. Uh, so uh, when you define a... Uh, so typically you have a, a type, let's say a query, that's kind of like the root. Uh, there's So there's three root types in a GraphQL server, and that's a query, a mutation, and a subscription. And you can only have uh, one root uh, type for each of those. So let's say in your query, if you have a field, um, uh, then you can define uh, a resolver for that field. And within that resolver, um, you can go fetch data from from anywhere. Uh, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. So you said there's something about you can have only one root query. Did I hear you correctly? Yeah. Yep. But um, I've been so I'm obviously not, I'm using the wrong terminology here. But I've been using uh, your library, and I've put multiple queries where I can you know get information about this person or get information about that account or get information about that something else within that query.cs. So what are they called? Sure. Uh, those would be considered the fields. So you have, uh, so you have your, your uh, root query object and then you have fields on that root query. And then those fields can also have a subset of fields as well. And so I think that's that's one thing that um, uh, once you kind of understand that you're kind of working with this hierarchy of data, it gets easier to to use GraphQL. And if you think of everything as a field with a resolver, um, then uh, that could be kind of easier. Like for instance, if you have a your root query object and you have a field called person and that person uh, field would be returning a person type um, and let's say that person type has uh, you know an ID and a name on it so in your root query you would be querying person and then underneath that the, the subfields would be ID and name but in the uh, GraphQL ecosystem, um, that top-level person is still considered a, a field and not a, uh, you know, in typical REST or, or, or something like that, we call that like a function or a method or, or, or something like that, an endpoint method. And, uh, but in GraphQL terminology it's still considered just a field that happens to have subfields gotcha and then i can have multiple of those fields so i could your query could look up a lot of different things and can effectively uh, different i suppose rest excuse me different post methods coming from a client will hit different fields to return different responses yep so and then it feels like um so for someone who's kind of wondering What's it like? I, I would say it's kind of like a controller with multiple action methods. Would that be a fair comparison? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It, it's kind of like that. And and um, 
you can even think of, uh, you know, so you'd have a con- like a person controller, and one of the action methods would be, you know, name. And so in that uh, action method, you would be like accepting a, uh, what we call like a source object. So like your person class, and you would be, you know, just returning the, the name property and that's it. And so that would be considered, you know, the, the resolver for that, uh, for that particular field. And this leads me on very nicely to my next question, which was, you know, given that I have controllers and I have REST and I have Web API, why would I move to uh, GraphQL? Sure. The and I think the one of the main things that it it helps you solve is uh, typically in a um, uh, UI application, you uh, need to have multiple different views of the same data. So, for instance, um, you maybe have you know the the list of information. Uh, of uh, let's say you're displaying a list of users and uh, in that list you may only be be displaying you know a handful of fields of that that user but that user object you know may contain you know uh, a dozen fields but you only are displaying three fields uh, in that list and so uh, to make it so that you're not fetching more data than you need you would have an endpoint that's for the list of you know for that particular screen uh you know the list of user and then you have another endpoint that is like the user details endpoint or something like that um and so with graphql it it makes it so that you don't have to have those two different endpoints um be, be to fetch kind of the same resource um, because you can define just the specific fields that you need uh, uh, for that s- specific screen. And one of the things I liked about that as well was when you look at it initially, it feels like you're potentially exposing uh, back-end information to the outside if you're specifying I want field name and then I want age and I want this and that. But you can do a mapping within GraphQL as well so that let's say you were hitting a database you wouldn't have to expose exactly the column names out through GraphQL because you can do a mapping to a to a better naming structure. Yeah, yeah. So you can uh, you can define uh, what those field names are. Um, uh, yeah, completely separate from from that database mapping. Uh, and uh, and again, like let's say you had. Um, you know, one of those fields on that object could be, uh, you know, one could be calling your internal database, and then another one could be going out to a third-party system and fetching information. But you know, from the the client's uh, perspective, it doesn't know that uh, you know what where that data is coming from. Um, you know, it's just uh, it's just another uh, you know set of data on that. Uh, on that uh, GraphQL type. So I've seen I've seen some discussions online about how people are using GraphQL, maybe incorrectly. Um, you know, we've had REST for a while, and there's a lot of criticism about people using it as CRUD. 
do you see people using GraphQL in a in a less than optimal way? Well, so I mean, there are some situations where where I think it's more difficult to use right now. Uh, the main one being um, uh, trying to aggregate multiple different GraphQL services together. Uh, I think there's not really a great story for that yet of, um, you know, to, to have one GraphQL server that, that aggregates multiple other GraphQL servers. Uh, it's possible to do that, but uh, I think there's not really great patterns for that yet. Um, so that's one case. Uh, another case is file uploads. Uh, there's really not a, a great story for, for uh, file uploads yet. Uh, you kind of, uh, you know, you can do that through like multi-part files, you know, multi-part uh, request, and then you know get access to the files, uh, you know, in different ways. But uh, so there's not really a great way to to do that yet. Um, I think that's kind of the the two main things that I've I've seen so far. Uh, one thing I want to ask as well is. With REST, we have OData, or with Web API, we have OData. I could make the argument, I can do everything you're talking about regarding querying anyway with OData. Why do I need GraphQL? Yeah, and I would, I would agree 100%. Uh, you, uh, and and my, my answer would be, if, if that's working for you, then, then stick with that. <laughs> you know, um, uh, so I think that... Uh, some people have, you know, have said that GraphQL replaces those things, and, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, but I think it provides uh, uh, just a different way to do it. Um, and at least for me personally, compared to OData, and uh, I'll, I'll admit I haven't used OData recently. Uh, I use OData kind of in the in the early years, but um, uh, I find GraphQL just a lot easier to understand and use, uh, than, than OData. Um, uh, and in my, in my experience, um, I have yet to actually work at a company or with, with other companies. Uh, I worked as a consultant for about five years. Um, but I have yet to actually work with a company that does actual rest. It's, it's all just crud. Um, you know, an all RPC style, you know, but call it rest. And, and so, uh, in that particular case, I've, I've found that GraphQL is, is, uh, um, uh, a better replacement for, for CRUD, uh, uh or RP, RPC style. And, um, but o, o data, you know, does provide some features out of the box that GraphQL doesn't. Like for instance, uh, out of the box, GraphQL doesn't really provide um, paging uh, type information, um, whereas OData uh, does kind of uh, have that built in a little bit. Um, at least my my understanding. Um, uh, and so there's add-ons. Uh, there's one called Relay that kind of helps uh, solve some of those problems, uh, but uh, but yeah, so there's, uh, I think there's things that uh, each provide that the other one doesn't. 
Let's talk about your library. So it's called GraphQL.net. It's on GitHub. It's on NuGet. Um, it's by far the most popular .NET implementation of GraphQL out there. How did you, or why did you start doing this? Sure. So um, when uh, when GraphQL was first uh, kind of announced and presented uh, to the community, um, I really liked the idea. Um, and so I started uh, just kind of hacking together a, uh, a little framework to to uh, to do it in .NET, and uh, just over the months work, working on it, uh, uh, just kind of became the, the the de facto framework. Um, and uh, I've had uh, a lot of community contributions, and uh, it's just been a, a fun project to work on. Um, so I have, I have yet to, uh, uh, get my work to, uh, fully take the plunge yet, but, uh, I'm, I'm definitely working on that. So it looks like you've been at this almost a little over three years. Are you, are you, and I know you said you have contributions, but is this largely a one man show? Uh, it's, uh, it has been off and on, yeah. So it's been mostly me uh, over the years, um, uh, but I have had uh, quite a few supporters um, and contributors. Uh, you know, so so far we have seventy three different contributors, um, and we have um, a dozen um, uh, active contributors right now, part of the the organization, and. Uh, you know, always uh, wouldn't mind more. <laughs> There's lots of lots of things to do. I know that other uh, open source uh, project owners or um, let's say maintainers, they sometimes worry about sort of the the bus rule. If you were hit by a bus, or you decided to let's say give up a, a more friendly uh, approach, if you decided to give up on this, do you think GraphQL.net would continue? I think so. Um, it's uh, it's had quite quite a, a bit of um, uh, usage um, and so I've uh, I've had companies as big as uh, you know Microsoft reach out to me to um, you know be be using the framework and so uh, I think it would you know in some form or another um, I do have uh, I have given permissions to uh, some of the other contributors so that you know if if I if I were to be hit by a bus, then, then you know they could could continue on, um, uh, yeah, and so yeah, I would definitely hope it would. Because I know it is something that uh, people worry about. Because I I came Mark Seaman posted I don't know was it on his blog or on Twitter that he's no longer involved in auto fixture, but it continues, and he was delighted to see it's active and they've moved on to a new version, and he's you know clear of it. But it, I, I imagine it's not. It's not. It's certainly not common. Most of these projects tend to stick with a original creator, and then they're with it true to the end. Another example would be Polly. Actually, um, the original gentleman, Michael Wolfenden, I think he was on it for a number of years, and then uh, Dylan Reisenberger has taken over and is um, continuing it on. But um, I, I want to talk a little bit about specifically GraphQL.net. Um, GraphQL as a specification has a large number of, I don't know, items that you have to comply with to say that you're GraphQL. What 
how is GraphQL.net doing in relation to that? So we comply to all those uh, except one validation rule. So they have a, a full set of validation rules, and uh, one of them, one of the validation rules, is a, a fairly complicated rule, um, which is uh, uh, overlapping fields can be merged. So that one's been that one's been out there for a while, but um, uh, other than that one, uh, we uh, we conform to everything. Uh, just recently in our uh, 2.0 release, uh, just released that uh, last week. Um, uh, we support, uh, you know, so queries, sub queries, mutations, subscriptions. So we added subscriptions, um, and um, uh, we also have implement implementation of uh, they call it the data loader pat pattern, uh, which helps uh, resolve any n plus one querying uh, issues. If a person wants to start playing with GraphQL.net, they download the NuGet package, but then there's a fair amount of plumbing that needs to be put in place. Could you quickly maybe describe some of that? Sure. Yeah, there's there's a couple options. We have, uh, we have the core GraphQL library, which is protocol agnostic. So you could use that core library for, uh, uh, for anything. Uh, and then we have another library that is, uh, provides a server implementation for ASP.NET Core. Um, and so if you're, if you're running on ASP.NET Core, you could download that server implementation and, and get going pretty quickly. Uh, and that's just a new get, uh, uh, some new gets available. Um, if you, if you are on .NET Classic, so we, we support .NET Classic and .NET Core. Uh, if you're on .NET Classic, then uh, you would need to uh, like create your own API controller and then um, uh, uh, create an action method. And uh, then there's what we call a, a document executor. And you just pass your, your query and, and uh, schema to uh, to the document executor to to execute the query. Um, there's uh, there's kind of two different ways you can uh, build your schema, um, and, and those are uh, what we call either schema first or um, uh, the graph type first approach. So schema first is uh, where you can use the GraphQL schema syntax to kind of build up build up your schema and then uh, provide the resolvers. The other approach is to uh, write graph types with like an inheritance chain uh, to build your schema and then uh, pass that to the to the executor. One of the things as well I found very helpful was is it called Graphi Graphi uh, the UI. Uh, tool that comes with it yes uh so uh, there's a tool provided by facebook called called the uh, graphql i think um and uh what that does is uh it uh, provides basically an in-browser ide to uh, work with your graphql server and um uh as long as you as long as your GraphQL server conforms to the specifications, 
that that GraphQL IDE can you know work with pretty much any GraphQL server. Um, so uh, ever since GraphQL was GraphEQL was uh, put out by um, Facebook, there's a couple of other ones as well uh, available. Uh, but the the GraphQL is is really nice in that it uh, yeah you can get um, you know auto completion on fields and uh, uh, you can easily browse the the uh, uh, the schema uh, and to, you know, look at the, the the types in the fields and things like that. I found it very helpful because otherwise it would have been a lot of guesswork even to figure out the capabilities of GraphQL. So it helped me know that, oh, I can I can look for the person and then I can look for their friends and I can look for their friends' ages or I can look for their friends' addresses because it prompts you um, kind of like IntelliSense as you build your query. Right. And then the other thing was when I was trying to, tro- when I was trying to convert this into um, Postman or into Fiddler, it was also helpful because I looked at my the output of my uh, my developer tools inside in Chrome to see the request that was generated because it is slightly different. Right. The the post request that you would use from your client is a little different than what goes into the Graphy IDE by a, right. a small amount, but it, it's enough to confuse you because you have to escape certain characters and you have to add an extra right. layer of JSON to it. Right, yep, yep. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions maybe about more of the, again, into the weeds of uh, GraphQL.net. We've talked quite a bit about how you can request a subset of the the data that you want. But let's say my backend is Entity Framework and um, I'm looking up a person and the person has 10 columns or something like that. And I'm then looking up their friends and they have 10 columns as well. But all I want are two. So I want, I don't know, the first name and last name of the primary person. And then I want the first and last names of all their friends. Am I going to, the data I retrieve from the server, the data transfers from the server to the client will obviously be quite reduced. But am I still stuck with making the full request to Entity Framework, to the database to pull back, 10 columns on my on my main person and then 10 columns on each of my friends or is there a way to reduce it all down to the two that I need yeah and that's uh, and that's just that's just kind of a, if, as long as that's a feature of your OR, ORM right <laughs> so as long as your ORM supports um, uh, only fetching the fields that you need then then uh, then it should work um, and so the the GraphQL or the like the core GraphQL library doesn't uh, uh, deal with that per se, um, uh, but uh, you can know which fields are being requested, and so you can pass that on to your ORM to to only fetch those fields that you need. So um, uh, for GraphQL.net, there are a couple projects uh, that you can use as add-ons. Uh, one for Dapper, one for Entity Framework, uh, that will only fetch the the fields that you need. Um, and so to to make sure you're not pulling, uh, you know, all those fields back. And then I guess if you're if you were if your GraphQL is calling other GraphQLs, it becomes quite easy because then you got GraphQL all the way down. Right. 
What about testing? So this was something a colleague of mine and I were chatting about earlier. Is it easy to do unit testing or integration testing with your implementation of GraphQL? Yeah. Um, you know, we have um, hundreds of tests um, with the, the library. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm biased, right? So, but so I, so I think it's fairly easy. You should, um, <laughs> right? Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I found it fairly easy uh, to do so. Um, you know, testing uh, testing your server, uh, just making. Uh, you know, I, I would say it's not any easier or harder than any other, um, you know, API. So uh, you know, uh, doing automated tests through. Um, uh, uh, you know, just making HTTP requests is uh, pretty simple. Um, and you can, uh, because it's also not, uh, um, I should say, because it's uh, API agnostic, you know, you could also write tests that wasn't going over, uh, you know, like HTTP protocol, you know, and just do, do uh, uh, basic unit tests as well. And then a lot of uh, the way I implemented it was a lot of it relied on dependency injection. So I could easily sub in mocked um, implementations to do the testing with anyway. Right. Yep. Yep. One thing I came across was a discussion about using GraphQL as a back end for front end. Can you explain that? Sure. Uh, so. Uh, I think this is one of the, the places where GraphQL really really shines, in that so the the idea of having a, a, a backend for your front end is that you have a, a backend service that is specific to a, a, a particular application, and so that backend service can uh, meet all of the needs specific to that application, and uh, um, uh, have the data structured in the exact way that 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 client needs, and so GraphQL can uh, really play a, a good role in that, yeah, especially if you're doing like a you know microservices uh, type infrastructure. So it can aggregate all those multiple microservices into a single backend uh, that. Uh, uh, What's the word? Not coming to me. Aggregate? <laughs> uh, uh, Is aggregate the right word? Yeah, well, uh, not aggregate, but, uh, you know, facilitates the needs for that particular service. Okay. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it, it's a great fit for that. That's something I noticed. I was at a, um, I was at a conference earlier this year, and they were talking about that as a major need for front ends that have very complicated UIs that need to request, you know, 50 or 100 different things. But then they're spawning multiple requests, having to wait for them to come back, potential for failure. Whereas if they can hit something that can return most of the data that they need in one go, it's, it's much more efficient. Exactly. Yeah. And especially for like mobile applications where you want to uh, keep that payload as small as you can. Uh, you know, having a general purpose API for for everything uh, kind of gets you back to where you're you you know to 
to reduce the, the amount of data you're getting, you have uh, multiple different endpoints to, you know, that uh, are for the same data. Joe, any final notes before we wrap up on this late night here in Boston? Sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, could always use more uh, uh, contributors to the project. Um, uh, have uh, lots of things we could uh, uh, work on. And uh, so, uh, uh, can jump right in and help out. Um, if you uh, happen to be uh, attending the uh, React conference that's coming up in October, uh, I wasn't a lucky one to get a lottery lottery ticket to to go, even though it's in my hometown. Uh, but so if you happen to be coming into town for that um, uh, and and want to talk GraphQL and in, in .NET, uh, uh, feel free to reach out to me uh, either on on GitHub or my Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, UI Craftsman. Joe McBride, thank you very much for your time this evening. Thanks for having me. If you like this episode, you might also like episode 102 with Spencer Schneidenbach on REST APIs, or episode 99 with Jimmy Bogard on containers, or episode 91 with Adam Ralph on N-Service Bus, microservices, and service-oriented architectures.
The opening music was returned by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Evermore by Kai Engel from the album Sustains. <laughs> 